Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one, and welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, is James Citron, the CEO of Pledge.to. James, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor to have uh, an impact award-winning company on the show, uh, a company that is doing well by doing good, someone that's been in the space for quite some time. James, for people that don't know who you are, could you fill them in a little bit about the origin story of, of James and, and maybe Pledge? Absolutely. So Kevin, I, I've always been a dreamer and a builder. I was the kid who loved to do Legos. When I went to college, I thought I was going to become an architect. Um, and build buildings. And uh, I'll never forget the very beginning of my college experience going to an architecture class and realizing that I was probably going to build a building a year, um, maybe every two years or three years if I became an architect. It was right in the early days of the internet when the internet boom took off and I realized the power of software. I could build whatever I could envision. I could find some great developers, my computer science. I could do a little bit, but I needed to find some great people. And for me, that, that whole spirit of building and creating has kind of permeated my whole life. So after college, um, for the last, you know, now this is my third company. Um, my last two companies were in, in building mobile technology. And the origin story is pretty amazing And um, that I had two crazy things happening. So fast, you know, let's backtrack. I was running one of the biggest text messaging companies, and frankly, in the U.S. and the world. We were sending billions and billions of text messages, and I had started this company from scratch, and we were sending all these messages, and we were honored to work with heads of state. So when Prime Minister Modi in India wanted to send out a text message to billions of people, he would use our platform. When President Obama, former President Obama was sending messages, he would use our text messaging platform. Salesforce, all these companies were using our platform. So we, I was running this big and growing technology company that was sending out all these messages. Two things happened to me that just shook my worldview. One, my wife and I had our first baby. And I'm sure you've heard this story before, but that was the first thing that just kind of changed my perspective and outlook on what was really important in life. And so when I took my paternity and I was just thinking about what we're doing and what was next, I happened to get an email from this little tiny nonprofit that said, hey, I need to use the best text messaging platform in the world. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, who are you telling me about the use case? And this nonprofit founder said, do you know what happens when you text 911 from your cell phone? No. What, what happens? Kevin, do you know what happens? I, I don't. What happens? Nothing. 
So imagine, imagine you're a young kid, you get your first cell phone and you're in crisis. Your language for how you communicate with the world is through text, right? When I grew up, we used to pick up the phone, we were taught in school, call 911. Well, kids don't call, they text. Right. So there's a story of a young girl who was actually being abused. She texted 911. No one knows what happened to that young girl. This amazing and very famous nonprofit founder by the name of Nancy Loveland, founder of Do Something, heard this story and said, I have to help every single kid who's in crisis, whose language, language is text messaging. I need to save them. So I come back from paternity and I've been emailing back and forth with Nancy. She chose our platform because we had the best platform on the, on the planet. And I saw, even though we were sending billions of text messages, I saw it start at one and then 10 and then hundreds of text messages a month. Kids in crisis, instead of texting 911, they were texting this five digit number powered by my, my company's software. And we were starting to save kids in crisis. Now, when I, when I set out to build companies and build a text messaging software, I never built technology to change the world or to save lives. I wanted to build something that was incredible and big and would build, you know, really cool, innovative new software that no one ever created. Of. But I didn't think that a byproduct of what I could, what we were building was really going to help kids in crisis like this. So that was the second thing that changed me. I committed at that point to say, whatever my next thing is, I'm going to build tech for good forever. I'm a, I love to build technology. I've been pretty successful at doing so with some incredible people. How do I go build technology for good? So um, fast forward, I was fortunate to sell that company and that started my real tech for good focus. And that's what led me to pledge. And when I saw that literally hundreds of billions of dollars were being raised for charities, but it was hard and it was clunky and all the money wasn't getting to the nonprofits, I said, I'm a tech guy. I can make this so much easier and better and get more money in the hands of the incredible nonprofits and nonprofit founders who achieve their mission. That is what I want to go set out to do, to build tech for good, but really help nonprofits and communities that desperately need the funding. Now, thanks for sharing that, James. And before we're going to go into like the, the nitty gritty of the platform, how it's used, the transparency, I'm curious to know what it is about the career realization moments and, and when it hits people, why it hits people. Why do you think it is? that so many social entrepreneurs are go, 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 go in a normal job. In the moment, they're able to sit back and just kind of take in life a little bit. They end up going into this route. What, what was it for you and why do you think that is for so many social entrepreneurs? Well, you know, all of us are motivated by, you know, trying to achieve our true north. And as you, as you set out, and all of us are this way. Every morning when you're you're creating your podcast or going out to build real leaders, very, very focused on your mission. And when you realize your mission can achieve real impact, 
I think that changes everything. When I saw that my text messaging company could actually help and save lives, it fundamentally changed my perspective. For many, it happens when you also become a father or you go through these major life events. During COVID, I can tell you during COVID, we weren't sure if it was going to be the end of our company. You know, when companies were going, we don't know if we're going to exist. I didn't know if the CSR departments of every single company were just going to go away when every company was trying to stay alive, when every consumer was going, how do I stay healthy? But what we found during COVID, frankly, was what was most important, humanity, really rose to the surface. So for me, again, was seeing technology and becoming a father, those two life events. But I think these last few years have, have changed everyone's perspective about what is really important. And, and what were some of those key things, James, that you wanted to make sure you got right about Pledge, uh, that TO, that maybe a traditional company wouldn't maybe be thinking about or consider? I think there's a few things. One, mission alignment. And mission alignment across every single stakeholder group. When you're hiring for a company, and I think it's true of socially conscious companies, companies that are not, you know, B Corp like companies, but mission alignment is the single most important thing because you can take an incredible person on on paper who has the, the resume to be the greatest hire in the world. But if they're not aligned with your mission, the likelihood to retain that person, the likelihood that person's going to do the go the extra effort to really help your organization thrive, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. And I've I've hired and worked with thousands of people now in the last 15 plus 20 years and mission alignment ac across the team is number 1. For technology companies or up-and-coming growing companies that go raise capital, the same exact thing is true. And my last two companies that were technology companies that we were able to grow and sell, we were funded by investors who were aligned around profit, primarily profit. Nothing wrong with that. That drives the capital markets and profit creates huge impact as well. But for to raise money in, for this company, everything to me was around finding mission-aligned investors and a diverse set of investors. So I'm really proud half of our investors from our, our last two rounds of financing are women, people of color. They're not traditional investors. And they care so deeply about our mission to power generosity that I know that if I go in a board, re board meeting, they're going, what is... Of course, how is the company doing, but what is the impact that we're achieving too? And so I think anchoring around that mission is so fundamentally important. So James, help the audience understand a little bit more about this platform and how it works. Specifically, I guess why I'm asking this question is investors, if I'm an investor, learning about your platform, how you don't take a fee from that transaction, how it's all about a tip. Help me understand as an, an investor why I would be investing in this organization if it's solely depending on tips. I know it's the craziest thing in the world. 
And we, lo we love this. And I'll explain why. A few years ago, when we first got started, when, when we looked at the fundraising industry, and there's a lot of companies out there, big companies, small companies, that power the donation software of nonprofits or individuals raising money, the, from the GoFundMes to you know, PayPal's, you name it. Well, the more we looked at it, a big percentage of when you give $50 or $500 or $1,000, a big percentage of those dollars when you're the donor are actually going to the software platform that's powering it. So, Kevin, you might think that you were just gave $50 to your, your kid's elementary school or your temple or mosque, but maybe they got 40. Maybe they got 42. And you know what? As the donor, you want 100% of the money that you give to actually go to the organization, right? That's, that's why you're doing it. And so instead of taking a percentage, we said, can we flip the entire model? Could we say 100% of the funds are actually going to the nonprofit? If the credit card company takes a piece, okay. But we want 100%, no platform fees, no charge from pledge. 100% of the funds to go to the nonprofit? Could we change the whole model? Could we say, you know what? Anyone who's using our software, if they feel generous and they like the service we're providing, could they leave a little tip to pledge? So our entire business is based on the generosity of donors who use our software. And so this means nonprofits raise more money when they use pledge. Nothing's coming out of that donation, right? And we have a sustainable business based on a mission alignment between us, the people using our software, and the nonprofits. It's truly a win-win-win. And we found this to be a better business model than trying to take a piece of the donation. And have you found that to be the case with those big companies that you worked with, like Apple and other organizations? Like, you know, this is a, this is a platform that we can trust. Absolutely, yeah. We work with, you know, some of the biggest brands in the world from Zoom, we power the donations on Zoom so that we launched the first donate button in Zoom. And Zoom looked at Pledge versus other companies, much bigger companies, and said, this is a super robust platform and safe and secure, and it can help us reach nonprofits in 150 different countries. We work with Evite, um, the invitation company that everyone I'm sure on your podcast has used. You know, 200 million people get invited to an Evite event, and we launched the ability to do to say, I want to pledge any event to charity. We also work with Snap and Bird and a, a number of other big brands, Warner Brothers Discovery. So yeah, all of all of our brand customers love this mission alignment because ultimately they want to make sure that their their customers, their consumers are also donating and, and having the transparency of their funds going directly to the nonprofit as well. Let's talk about the transparency. You know, if I am a business, I'm like, this is interesting. I really want to give back to a community that's especially aligned with my mission that I care about, whether it's training leaders or anything like that. Um, how do I measure that? How do I track that transparency? Is this all on the platform? Tell me a little bit more about it. Yep. And Kevin, I think this is one of the most important topics that's evolved over the last several years in, in the world of ESG and philanthropy and also for consumers. We live in a world that's so data-driven, right? 
we live in a world where we, we know it's going to take us 12 minutes to go from point A to point B because of Google Maps and, and Waze. But that level of impact transparency histor historically has never been in philanthropy. I didn't know that if I gave X dollars to this environmental nonprofit, what the impact was achieved. So this is something that we worked really, really hard on to actually track and measure impact. So we work with all of our nonprofit partners. We, like I said, we have 2 million in the database and thousands upon thousands of them. We've worked to actually track down to the dollar what's happening. So I'll give you a great example of this. If you turn on the Food Network, and I'm sure there's a lot of um, home chefs. In my, in my house, everyone loves the Food Network. It's like around dinner time, everyone gets inspired and wants to watch the Food Network. Well, Food Network is aligned, obviously, around a natural cause. How do they help kids and families who are hungry? So they have a partnership with, with No Kid Hungry. And when you turn on the Food Network now, there's a simple call to action to help them fundraise, help them raise money. One out of three kids in America is hungry or living in a food desert. I mean, it's even though we're in the wealthiest country in the world, the food situation is, is really real in this country. So we worked with Warner Brothers Discovery. There's this call to action. And literally, when you donate, your, your money tells you how many meals you're going to provide. And I'm really proud to say Discovery just announced yesterday. They've, they've raised funding to provide over a billion meals. And they just changed and increased their goal to 2 billion meals over the next several years provide to families and, 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 uh, and kids in need. But back Incredible. to that transparency, when you want to donate, you want to know if I'm giving 50 bucks and I'm providing 500 meals, right? People want to understand. So we try to quantify it and make it very visual as well. So, so what is the, the growth trajectory for you guys? Like, how are you able to predict constant revenue coming in? Have you ran into a few challenges uh, along the way with, with your growth with, with this model? COVID was the biggest, biggest challenge, I think, for the whole philanthropy space. Mm. Washington Post article, April, right, literally right after the shutdown. The article said, up to 40% of nonprofits may go out of business because of COVID. 40%. The philanthropy industry in the U.S. accounts for 2% of GDP. Imagine if we lost 1% of GDP and the heart of America and frankly, the heart of much of the world just disappears because there's no way to fundraise. So this was the, the biggest challenge that we faced. Some of our big partners where we had a lot of revenue and donation volume suddenly couldn't do any in-person events during COVID, right? Nonprofits, many nonprofits live and die by their annual gala or their two or three galas a year. What do you do? So for us, what our response was this partnership with Zoom. We realized if we could make it so simple for people to fundraise virtually, whether it's on Zoom or YouTube or Twitch or any streaming platform and help any fundraiser and any nonprofit still fundraise virtually, maybe we could help 
help them through. And it was a it was a trying, trying about six months. You know, we um, we did everything that every company was trying to do at that time. Cut every expenses possible. We were fortunate not to lay off any of our team. Um, but it was a very incredibly trying time. About three months in, I think our first event, first big marquee event, Tiger Woods reached out. He did an online poker tournament for Mount Sinai. New York City was the epicenter of COVID. Did a big celebrity online poker tournament. We'd never done an online poker tournament. Like, you know, that was not a fundraising event historically. We raised a million dollars for Mount Sinai. Wow. Then event after event after event all started. You know, we had the Fast Times at Richmond High table read, which I think, you know, brought uh, Jennifer Anson and Brad Pitt back together for the first time for the table read of that iconic film. It's been watched like 100 million times on YouTube. That was all fundraise for CORE, um, Sean Penn's organization that was setting up free COVID testing clinics. And the list goes on and on. We did 50 or 60,000 virtual events in a span of a handful of months. And we found that in our most trying time, humanity was elevated, people connected virtually. And by using our software, we were able to help some nonprofits who said literally, we raised more money virtually than we did in person because we could actually reach an audience that was beyond our geography for the first time ever. So. It was definitely a trying time, but really helped us innovate around what does the future of fundraising look like. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive what you guys have been able to do. And it seems like every time you're thrown an obstacle, you're constantly thinking about ways to disrupt, to, to problem solve, to innovate around these obstacles or through them, which just seems like it's been a really strong competitive advantage for you. Where does this mindset come from, James? I love that question. I was a competitive athlete all my life. And I think whatever you're passionate about, and for me, it was athletics as a young kid. And I was always the kind of the shortest kid on my team. Um, so I played volleyball. And if we met each other, you know, Kevin, I'm, I'm about six feet tall. I'm probably an average volleyball player. My college team now is about six, 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 eight. And being the smallest kid on really competitive teams teaches you grit, determination, survival instinct. Uh, and I, I was fortunate to play on some teams where, you know, in national championships and crazy, crazy we achieved incredible heights. And I think going through that experience, never being the tallest, the fastest, the strongest, the best coach, any of those things taught me the grit that it's, you know, uh, it's all about taking one step forward. No matter if you're playing against a bigger team, in our case was often the case, you know, you can still find a, a, a way to win. And I think, Entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, too, is the same way. You know, the, the world of business, the world of philanthropy, everything is evolving quickly. And we're on a treadmill that's never been faster, right? I mean, every single trend has gone 10 years faster 
than we all anticipated because COVID just accelerated technology trends. So I think that's where it comes from for me, but I see it in my team who are just incredible and whatever they were passionate about, I think it stems from a lot of those childhood experiences that they had that helps them to be innovative and dynamic and, and uh, agile. And, and as a CEO in, in that position, uh, how are you interacting with your team to enable this thinking, to enable these new ideas, to enable um, a, a culture of disruption and innovation? Well, we do a few things. One, we do a few team summits a year. We do two in person where a bunch of the agenda has nothing to do with what the business is today. It's all about getting people together, being inspired, thinking about the macro trends without a, a core agenda focused on how do we just grow something from A to B. And I think in person, what in person has taught us all is there are sparks of innovation that happen when you're connecting with, with other people, your team, that can't be replicated easily virtually. So I, I think that's one, that's one way. We also have a, a big part of our core values is about empowering everybody. And for 15 years, whether the company was 500 people, which was my company last, last to now closer to 50 people, very flat organization where it's really creating a culture where you empower folks to think differently, to quote, quote Apple, but really empower that junior developer. Who, this might be their first job, but they go, well, what if we did this? Would that work better? And I find that today's, today's workforce is so data-driven that you can build things pretty quickly and use the data to, to, to drive your decisions. So those are some of the ways that we, we do that here at Pledge. And it's really interesting to know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs right now are, are trying to figure out, like, how do I go about growing my company? So James, you've grown a company of 500 employees. You've got one that's 50, but still has an enormous reach um, and, and are growing. How are you going about maybe just the term growth? How are you going about it? What kind of challenges are you asking your team how are you thinking about it? What is your role as a CEO right now? Well, growth, growth can mean many things, obviously. There's you know, revenue growth, there's personnel growth, there's platform reach and growth. So we think about it in kind of two ways. At our core, the more impact we have, and this is part of the power of our business model, the more good we do in the world, the better the business is. And so when I, when I think about growth, it starts from our core values and it goes, how do we help more people? How do we help more nonprofits? Our core customer is the nonprofit who's the beneficiary of all the work that we do. So when we talk about growth, we think about that core customer in mind and we go, how do we serve them better and then do the products that we build achieve that mission? So for other, other leaders and other listeners, you know, I would break and compartmentalize growth 
amongst those kind of few different key variables. You know, core business growth, real, really understanding the customer. I like to use the example of Zoom. Zoom is so customer obsessed. I mean, that is the, that their core value is care, and the core focus of, the, of their product is like understanding that customer need. And they did such a great job during COVID. There was 10 different video calls. There was WebEx and Teams and all these other things, but their focus on the customer enabled them to build an easier, better product that helped them emerge. So think about customer growth as well. And I would say the last thing on employee growth, one thing that we're working on and implementing is what is the professional growth for every single employee at Pledge? Like what is the thing that they want to achieve? personally while they're here and how do we as a company enable that because that person's then going to thrive if they're achieving their own professional development growth at the company while also helping the company grow too mm -hmm. yeah powerful uh, focusing on your customer is also really empowering and investing into your employees into the company to grow the organization yes you know, and i heard this interesting question the other day james just thinking about that and and the question was, you know, if you were to start your business all over again from ground zero and you found that aligned investor and you go say, hey, here's a million dollars, what would you do first? It's the thing we're doing in a week. One big thing that we've realized back to focusing on the customer. And you'll be the first, your audience will be the first people in the world to hear this. Is the pain point around credit card fees. It's the biggest, one of the biggest pain points. $170 billion goes to charity a year from individuals. 3% of that, tens of billions of dollars, goes to credit card companies. So the pledge right now has a tipping model. We don't charge a thing for the platform. But the thing we would do differently is the thing we're starting next week, 10 days-ish. We are gonna eat all of the credit card fees. We are gonna go, whether you give $500 or $20, pledge. Our mission is to power generosity in the world through the world's leading charitable donation platform. And one of the ways that we can do that is by absorbing those credit card fees. So we are going to eat all those credit card fees. Of course, it's going to come out of Pledge's, Pledge's bank. Um, but we think that's one way. 3% means a lot. With 3%, if we were 3% off, we wouldn't land a man on the moon. We wouldn't have hit that asteroid. You know, the U.S. Open winner wouldn't have won the U.S. Open. 3% means to every single nonprofit a new staff member you could hire could be 30 million new trees planted. So that is the thing that we would do differently. Start by absorbing all those credit card fees. Even if we know that means a less, less profitable business, it means more impact, which is good for the world. Our number one stakeholder. It's powerful. It's absolutely powerful. And, and, and for, let's say your standard business owner listening out there who is just amazed by this. He's like, what I, don't understand the logic here. Help them understand why this is good for your business as well. Well, 
I was talking about with my board, and I've got this incredible advisory board, and we were talking about it, and they said to me, this, what Pledge is doing, reminds me so much of what Southwest Airlines did when they said badge fly free. So when Southwest Airlines launched this whole marketing campaign, which we've all seen, badge fly free, they launched this brilliant marketing campaign, every one of his executives was saying, we have to charge for bags. We have to charge for bags. It will, we'll make $300 million on bag fees. And Herb Keller, founder of Southwest goes, no, we're not gonna do that. I don't care about $300 million. It's not the right thing to do. If this works, everyone will know Southwest. And you know what? More people will fly Southwest and we'll build our business based on people who are aligned with our mission. So what ended up happening? Instead of making $300 million on, on bag fees, they, made, they, they took 1% 1 share of the $800 billion aircraft industry, the, the um, airline industry, which equated to like a billion dollars in growth overnight. Hmm. So for, for every business owner, when you're aligned with that customer need, you're gonna get the growth in volume, the growth in usage, even if it comes at a little bit lower margin. And so for us, to, to us to make this decision, we talked about it a lot with our, our team. And we said, this is the right thing to do. Nonprofits need the funding. It's absolutely better for everyone in the whole ecosystem for nonprofits to get more funding, communities that need it more funding. And let's, let's bet on doing the right thing as opposed to the most profitable thing. And James, there's a lot of people listening out there go, you know, I want to work for a company like that, a company that's mission driven and has integrity with every little decision that they make in the organization. Have you found that this mission is also more of like a holistic approach where it really permeates through all your stakeholders, where it's helping with recruitment, retainment? Tell me a little bit more about the side effects of being a mission led, mission driven company. This is the only type of company in the future. Today's workforce requires, demands, expects the company they work for to share a similar set of values. So if, if you don't build a mission-driven company, I think you're out of business in five years or 10 years or 15 years, regardless of the size of your, of your company. So for us, it's led us to have incredible retention of, of key, uh, of all of our personnel. It means that it's easier to attract incredible folks because they're mission aligned. They want it. I think everyone wants to go, you know, whether they're logging into Zoom or going in an office, they want to believe that what they're doing has real purpose and meaning. So for us, it's everything. My prior companies, which were technology companies that, that were not mission aligned in the way that Pledge is, I've seen the difference of how much easier to recruit the best people. People are willing to take less money if they go work for a company that actually does something that they believe in. Salespeople are more effective if they're selling a product that they know is doing good for the world. So I think it transcends companies of all types. And I think every single company in the future is going to look more like a B Corp. It's going to look more like a nonprofit in that they have to serve the four stakeholder, they have to serve communities. So, so James, based on that, if you were to 
to write a book about leadership or the next generation of what leadership would look like, what do you think that book would be called? I love this question. I'm gonna give, I wanna give you two titles because I'm gonna A-B test them with uh, with an audience, be yeah. Before before we go to market and become a New York Times bestseller, you gotta you gotta A B test the title. One is the empathetic leader, and how leading with empathy, empowering your team, and being aligned with your customer creates breakthrough results. And I think that's really important. Today's today's leader, I think, has to be a listener, empathetic, and empowering empowering. The other title is living through giving. So when you give back, when you literally make a donation or volunteer, it releases dopamine in the brain. It literally makes you happier, makes you healthier. There's a there's all this scientific research that talks literally about how money doesn't buy buy happiness, but giving it away does. And I think if you're the CEO of a company, that mindset of living through giving pervades everything. That means how do you set a, a values-driven, a mission-driven organization? How do you empower your team? How do you give back as a part of your product, your service, and your team? That's my – those are my two titles. I love those two towels, living through giving or empathetic leadership. Well put, James. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Time flies when you're having a fun time. Where can people find more information about Pledge? Please check out, go to www.pledge.to, and you'll see a bunch of our um, partnerships and a bunch of the trending fundraisers. Right now, we have unbelievable folks literally fundraising for some of the biggest uh, biggest needs of our time and please follow us on social check out our, our Instagram our Twitter, our LinkedIn and thank you so much Kevin for having me, it's been such an honor and uh, thank you to all the listeners of course and, and James on the, the notion of living through giving and empathetic leadership, let's bring this home what is your definition of a real leader? I think it's all about empathy empathy for your customers, for your employees, for all the different constituents that you, um, that you serve. And uh, that's, that's my definition. For James Citron, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you out there, be empathetic and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, James. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines 
courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.